Chapter Three of Ben Hur. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Ben Hur: A Tale of the Christ by Lew Wallace, Book One, Chapter Three. To speak in the style of the period, the meeting just described took place in the year of Rome, seven forty-seven. The month was December and winter reigned over all the regions east of the Mediterranean. Such as ride upon the desert in this season go not far until smitten with a keen appetite. The company under the little tent were not exceptions to the rule. They were hungry, and ate heartily, and after the wine they talked. To a wayfarer in a strange land nothing is so sweet as to hear his name on the tongue of a friend, said the Egyptian, who assumed to be president of the repast. Before us lie many days of companionship. It is time we knew each other. So, if it be agreeable, he who came last shall be first to speak. Then, slowly at first, like one watchful of himself, the Greek began. What I have to tell, my brethren, is so strange that I hardly know where to begin, or what I may with propriety speak. I do not yet understand myself. The most I am sure of is that I am doing a master's will, and that the service is a constant ecstasy. When I think of the purpose I am sent to fulfill, there is in me a joy so inexpressible that I know the will is God's. The good man paused, unable to proceed, while the others, in sympathy with his feelings, dropped their gaze. Far to the west of this, he began again, there is a land which may never be forgotten, if only because the world is too much its debtor, and because the indebtedness is for things that bring to men their purest pleasures. I will say nothing of the arts, nothing of philosophy, of eloquence, of poetry, of war. O oh, my brethren, hers is the glory which must shine forever in perfected letters, by which he we go to find and proclaim will be made known to all the earth. The land I speak of is Greece. I am Gaspar, son of Cleanthes the Athenian. My people, he continued, were given wholly to study, and from them I derived the same passion. It happens that two of our philosophers, the very greatest of the many, teach, one, the doctrine of a soul in every man, and its immortality the other, the doctrine of one God, infinitely just. From the multitude of subjects about which the schools were disputing, I separated them, as alone worth the labour of solution, for I thought there was a relation between God and the soul as yet unknown. On this theme the mind can reason to a point, a dead, impassable wall. Arrive there, all that remains is to stand and cry aloud for help. So I did, but no voice came to me over the wall. In despair, I tore myself from the cities and the schools. At these words a grave smile of approval lighted the gaunt face of the Hindu. In the northern part of my country, in Thessaly, the Greek proceeded to say, there is a mountain famous as the home of the gods, where Theus, whom my countrymen believe supreme, has his abode. Olympus is its name. Thither I betook myself. 
I found a cave in a hill where the mountain, coming from the west, bends to the southeast. There I dwelt, giving myself up to meditation. No, I gave myself up to waiting, for what every breath was a prayer, for revelation. Believing in God, invisible yet supreme, I also believed it possible so to yearn for Him with all my soul, that He would take compassion and give me answer. "'And he did, he did!' exclaimed the Hindu, lifting his hands from the silken cloth upon his lap. "'Hear me, brethren,' said the Greek, calming himself with an effort. "'The door of my hermitage looks over an arm of the sea, over the Thermaic Gulf. One day I saw a man flung overboard from a ship sailing by. He swam ashore. I received and took care of him. He was a Jew, learned in the history and laws of his people.' and from him I came to know that the God of my prayers did indeed exist, and had been for ages their lawmaker, ruler, and king. What was that but the revelation I dreamed of? My faith had not been fruitless. God answered me. "'As he does all who cry to him with such faith,' said the Hindu. "'But alas!' the Egyptian added. How few are there wise enough to know when he answers them? That was not all, the Greek continued. The man so sent to me told me more. He said the prophets who, in the ages which followed the first revelation, walked and talked with God, declared he would come again. He gave me the names of the prophets, and from the sacred books quoted their very language. He told me, further, that the second coming was at hand, was looked for momentarily in Jerusalem. The Greek paused, and the brightness of his countenance faded. "'It is true,' he said, after a little, "'it is true the man told me that as God in the revelation of which he spoke had been for the Jews alone, so it would be again. He that was to come should be king of the Jews.' "'Had he nothing for the rest of the world?' I asked. "'No,' was the answer, given in a proud voice. "'No, we are his chosen people.' The answer did not crush my hope. Why should such a God limit his love and benefaction to one land, and, as it were, to one family? I set my heart upon knowing. At last I broke through the man's pride— and found that his fathers had been merely chosen servants to keep the truth alive, that the world might at last know it and be saved. When the Jew was gone, and I was alone again, I chastened my soul with a new prayer, that I might be permitted to see the king when he was come, and worship him. One night I sat by the door of my cave, trying to get nearer the mysteries of my existence, knowing which is to know God. Suddenly, on the sea below me, or rather in the darkness that covered its face, I saw a star begin to burn. Slowly it arose and drew nigh, and stood over the hill and above my door, so that its light shone full upon me. I fell down and slept, and in my dream I heard a voice say, O Gaspar, thy faith hath conquered. Blessed art thou. With two others— Come from the uttermost parts of the earth, thou shalt see him that is promised, 
and be a witness for him, and the occasion of testimony in his behalf. In the morning arise, and go meet them, and keep trust in the Spirit that shall guide thee. And in the morning I awoke with the Spirit as a light within me, surpassing that of the sun. I put off my hermit's garb, and dressed myself as of old. From a hiding-place I took the treasure which I had brought from the city. A ship went sailing past. I hailed it, it was taken aboard, and landed at Antioch. There I bought the camel and his furniture. Through the gardens and orchards that enamel the banks of the Orontes, I journeyed to Emesa, Damascus, Bostra, and Philadelphia, thence hither. And so, O brethren, you have my story. Let me now listen to you. End of chapter.